Well, welcome everybody. Thank you, Lori. And just so excited about 2020. We made it. We made it through a decade. <laughs> it's a new year. And I'm really glad that you're here with us. I thought we'd start by just doing a little virtual time capsule. And let's go back to 2010 and uh, consider what life was like back in 2010. I just have a few pictures here. First of all, it was the iPhone 3, if you were happening back in 2010. It only had one camera, it didn't cost a grand. And uh, it was incredibly slow by today's standards, but there, there it was, right? And when you wanted to get somewhere back in 2010, uh, you know, things weren't quite fast enough to really use like a maps program on your phone or whatever. Most people still just use these things, old-fashioned paper maps. Some of you remember this, because you're dinosaurs, right? And if it wasn't old-fashioned paper maps, you'd go to Google Maps on your computer, or you'd go to MapQuest. Anybody remember that MapQuest? And you'd like type in where you're going, and then you would print out the pages. You would basically know how to get there before you left the house, right? And that's, that's how we did it back, back in the day, 2010. You know, if you had a Netflix membership back in 2010, you weren't streaming that content. You would find what you wanted to watch online, and then you would order these little guys right here. These are called DVDs. And they would mail you the physical DVDs, and you would take those, and you would watch them, and then you would put them back in the mail. If you tell teenagers this today, they won't believe you. But it wasn't that long ago, right, that everything wasn't available for streaming. It's amazing how things change, but some things stay the same. I mean, in 2010, the Dallas Cowboys had gone for a decade without reaching the Super Bowl, and here we are, 2020, another decade, another lap, no Super Bowl appearance. Just saying. Go Titans. So some things change, some things remain the same, but it's a new year, it's a time to think about a fresh start, a new beginning in our lives. And Pastor Sean did a great job setting us up for that last week, gave an incredible message, and talked about kind of his process for working through uh, personal goals, financial goals, um, professional goals, spiritual goals. And so if you missed that message, make sure to check it out. Uh, I loved his statement, he said, if you don't have a vision for the future, then you'll likely return to your past. And so he talked a lot about how we can have that vision. Today I wanna to talk about how we can go into a new year with an unfair advantage. And as a person of faith today, you have an unfair advantage because you have God's favor and you have God's faithfulness over your life that can empower you to rise up. Listen, we're all gonna get knocked down. We're all gonna have seasons where we're kind of laid out on our back, but the challenge, look, getting knocked down is inevitable, but rising up is optional. And with God's favor and God's faithfulness, we can rise up. So I'm excited, we're kicking off this teaching series. It's based on uh, Lori's um, brand new book that she just came out with this last fall, 
uh, called Rise Up. It's a workbook and Bible study around uh, the book of Ezra. And it's absolutely fantastic. I think it's my favorite book of the ones that she's written. And, um, you know, she's done some videos as well. If you want to go through this personally or with a friend or a Bible study group, uh, you can go to theriseupbook.com. And she's recorded uh, several different videos for small group sessions that are just available for free there. So make sure to check that out. But um, let me just kind of set it up because Lori's book is really anchored in the story of Ezra. And so I want to talk a little bit about Ezra and his journey today. And um, to do that, I'm going to have to give you a little bit of a history lesson. It's likely that Ezra is somebody you've never heard of. <laughs> or if you've heard of them, you kind of know maybe there's a, there's, there's a book in the Bible named Ezra, but you know a lot of people don't know who Ezra is because he's kind of a background person. Uh, he, he's not a super charismatic leader. He's not some great front person. In fact, Ezra is such a servant that if you read the book of Ezra, it's only 10 chapters long. And he, the, first seven cha the first six chapters, He's not even there. It's all about Zerubbabel, this other guy. He doesn't even talk about himself till he gets to chapter seven. That's Ezra. He's in the background, but, but I don't want you to miss this. God used Ezra in an incredible way, in a vulnerable time, in the history of the people of Israel and the Jewish nation. And God can use people, no matter their gifting, in powerful, powerful ways if they're committed to him. So let me just sort of set the context. Basically, um, if you read through the history of Israel, we're going to do a little history lesson, so hang with me. This will help kind of set everything up. Uh, it'll also make you very impressive at McDonald's when you're explaining your Bible knowledge uh, to a friend. Uh, but if you look through the history of Israel, um, Israel went through a period where they just continued to um, go their own way. They weren't worshiping God. They weren't following God's commands and principles. They were, they were worshiping other gods of the surrounding nations. They were intermarrying in ways that were leading them to what the Bible would call idolatry or worshiping false gods. And eventually God sort of becomes like a parent who's just absolutely had enough and just done. And so he kind of hands them over to um, their situation and they get conquered by their enemies who were the Babylonians and the Babylonians come in and they destroy the city of Jerusalem. They raise the temple to the ground basically and the temple represented the presence of God where God uniquely met his people in the Jewish faith and culture. They tear the temple down. They destroy the wall that surrounded the city of Jerusalem. There's no more protection, right? And then they took slaves of thousands and thousands of people and captured them, especially the best and brightest, and marched them hundreds of miles away to Babylon where they would serve the Babylonian kingdom. And this is a big part of the Old Testament. If you're reading through it, as you get into several of the major prophets and many of what we would call the minor prophets, they're talking about this exile. It was a huge part of uh, the identity of the Jewish people because for 90 to 95 years, they lived in Babylon hundreds and hundreds of miles away from the city of Jerusalem. But God had promised that the Israelite people would come back to Jerusalem eventually. And so they, over 90 to 95 years, they come back in three different groups, okay? Hang with me. Some of you are like, whoa. It's okay. Uh, first group was led by a guy named Zerubbabel. You read about that in Ezra chapter one through chapter six. Zerubbabel led like 50,000 people. And to give you the higher context, Babylon eventually was conquered by the Persians. The first king of Persia was, uh, had, had favor in his heart for the Jewish people and began to release them to go back home. So Zerubbabel leads the first group of exiles back to the city of Jerusalem. Their mission is to rebuild the temple. So they rebuild the temple. Um, 
After that's been going on for a while, Ezra leads the second group of Israelites back, a smaller group, back to the city of Jerusalem. His vision and mission was to reestablish worship in the temple, to reestablish how it should be done, because these people had been gone for decades and decades, and it was, in many ways, a memory more than a reality. So he was gonna reestablish how worship was supposed to happen at the temple. And then the third group of exiles, about 12 years after Ezra, was led by a guy named Nehemiah, the final group, and they went to rebuild the wall around the city of Jerusalem. So as you're reading through the Bible, this becomes a huge kind of theme, and it depends on where you sort of drop in. We're gonna talk about Nehemiah next week. He rebuilt the wall, that was like the final phase. You rebuild the wall, the temple's rebuilt. I think it's kind of cool that the Israelites went back and the first thing they focused on wasn't like rebuilding people's homes, it was like, we gotta rebuild the temple. That's the main thing. And once we get the temple rebuilt, you know, then we can rebuild the wall around the city and we can safely then go forward rebuilding the city. So here's Ezra. He's leading the second group of Israelites. They come in, the temple's being uh, completed. And Ezra gets there and he finds out that the Israelites in Jerusalem had once again intermarried with all these other people around them and had one, that had once again led to idolatry. And all the Israelites now are worshiping false gods. All this is going on again. And Ezra has a full tilt, Old Testament epic meltdown. I mean, loses his ever-loving mind. He's just traveled hundreds of miles with a whole group of people to reestablish worship in the temple, and he gets there only to find out that after all these decades of being transplanted from their homes, after losing, you can, I mean, we, you know, we went through the Great Recession, and it was bad, but can you imagine everybody you know losing everything they have, becoming a slave and being carted away to a foreign land? Can you imagine like how intense and devastating that was? And then he goes back to realize that the Israelites are doing the same thing that they were doing before, which got them into exile to begin with. So rightly so, Ezra has a full tilt, epic, Old Testament, biblical meltdown. He went Old Testament. And he's in the Old Testament. What does he do? He starts pulling his hair out. Then he starts pulling his beard out. I mean, this dude is not in a good space. And then he sits down on the ground in shock. And eventually he's laying on his face. And he is devastated. He can't believe after all the loss, all the pain, all the destruction, after the exile, after all those years, that the people still haven't learned. And that they've gone right back to their old ways. And they're right back in that situation again. He's just beside himself. And so here he is, laying on his face. You ever been there? You ever been so devastated, so shocked by something you've gone through in your life, just so reduced in your life that it felt biblical? You know, you just sort of sit down in absolute defeat. Or, you know, we might say in our culture, uh, we, you know, I went into the fetal position. You know what I'm saying? Full tilt, on the ground, just I've lost my stuff. That's, that's where 
Ezra is. That's where some of us are coming out of 2010, headed into 2020. You may have had moments where you were just wiped out, devastated, but don't miss this. Ezra's on the ground. I think he wanted to give up. I think he wanted to quit. I think he wanted to do something else with his life because what's the point? What's the purpose? He can't understand it. He can't see it. But the good thing is Ezra has surrounded himself with people of faith, and the people of faith surround him as he lays on his face. They've watched this all happen. They've watched the meltdown occur, right? Ezra's on his face, and the people gather up around him, and the people of faith say to him these words. Listen to this. Ezra chapter 10, verse 4. Help me on the highlighter word. They say, rise up which I love because, look, there is a time to weep, there's a time to mourn, there's a time to melt down, and then there is a time to dry your tears and get up. Life is for the living, right? You gotta go. You're not dead yet, so you're not done yet. And it's like, all right, Ezra, we've been here, we've watched, we've seen it, now, get up. <laughs> Rise up, this matter is in your hands. See, some of us, we feel powerless over situations where actually we have some control. And we gotta determine as we go into a new year, hey, what has God put in my hand? What matter is in my hands? What can I do about it? I love the quote from Martin Luther, which basically says, work like it all depends on you and pray like it all depends on God. Right? What's in my hands? What can I do? And then look at this. We will support you. It's the, the faith community is like, we're behind you. We'll support you. So take courage and do it. I love it because it's not a long speech, right? It's like that guy, that coach you need in your life when you're laid out that just says, get up, take courage, and go do it, bro. What are you waiting on? And so it says, Ezra what? You see? Ezra rose up. He got up. He'd been knocked down. He may have even thought he was knocked out, but it took the people of faith to come around him to remind him, you gotta get up, bro, because you gotta lead. You gotta head into this new season. It is within your hands. We are behind you. Take courage and go do it. This is why it's so important to be part of a faith community. It's why I'm so glad that you're here connected to Central and to a church community because we all need people in our lives when we get devastated and knocked down to say, hey, you're not alone. Just, it's, just rise up. Come on, wipe your tears off. We gotta go do it. We gotta go do it. We gotta head into a new year. And I wanna challenge you with a simple thought heading into this new year, and that is that you will not give up, you will rise up. And you can rise up in a couple different ways. One is you can rise up with God's favor in your life. Rise up with favor. I'll never forget when my kids were little, my son Ethan went through this phase where everything was his favorite, right? Say, so, you know, like, and he would always ask, what, what's your favorite color? What's your favorite day of the week? What's your favorite cartoon? What's your favorite superhero? It actually got incredibly annoying. You know, just sort of wear you down. I'll never forget, we pulled up to this uh, stop sign right off Las Vegas Boulevard, and there was a billboard there of five women, and they were wearing bikini bottoms, and they didn't have tops on. You could just see their bare backs, and it said, the hits are back. And so Ethan just looks up at this billboard, a little kid, as innocently as he can. He says to his sister in the back seat, he says, Emma, which naked girl is your favorite? He says, I like the one with brown hair. 
And we had a moment where, you know, all the air sucked out of the vehicle. You know, it's like, what just happened in the backseat of our car, right? And my wife turned around, and it was a moment of parenting brilliance I'll never forget. She said, Ethan, we do not have favorite naked girls. And I just thought, like, what a bizarre moment, right? We don't have our favorites. The good thing about God is he doesn't play favorites. God loves people, and he's just, and he's fair, and he's generous. So what is it about Ezra that allowed him to have so much of God's favor on his life? Um, It's interesting because here's Ezra, this background person. He was a scribe. He was a priest. He was more like an intellectual. Uh, You know, he was somebody that, that wouldn't necessarily be on the field. He would be on the sidelines, if you will. He wasn't really an upfront personality, but God used him in powerful ways, and I think we get a picture as to why. Check this out. Ezra chapter 7, verse 10 says this. For Ezra had set his what? Heart. He set his heart to study the law of the Lord, the Bible, and to do it. So it wasn't just that he was trying to get knowledge. He wanted to apply it to his own life and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. That phrase, set his heart, is an important phrase. That means he made it his primary passion. He made it his number one thing. It's what he longed for the most. He set his heart on God. And I want to challenge you today, friends, as we go into a new year and a new decade, that you're going to be, you're going to have a lot of messages about setting your heart on a lot of different goals. There's health goals. Some of you need to set your heart on some health goals. There's, there's uh, family goals, and there's you know, some challenges to set our hearts on family goals or personal goals or set our hearts on having more money or getting our financial lives in order. And all of that's good and great, but listen, the most important thing we can set our hearts on is God. And some of us going into a new year, we just need to recenter. Right? We just need to come back to like, I'm going to set my heart on God. Why did Ezra have so much favor in his life? It wasn't because he was super charismatic and amazing. It was because he set his heart on God. He sought to learn his word, to apply his word to his life, and to share his word with others. He set his heart on God, and God blessed him in that. In fact, you read through Ezra, he shows up in chapter 7 of his own book and chapter 8, and you see a phrase that, that gets applied to Ezra that doesn't get applied, applied to very many people in the Bible. It says that the gracious hand of the Lord was on him. He had favor. He had it for direction. Ezra 7, 9. He left Babylon on April 8th. He came to Jerusalem on August 4th, almost four months, for the gracious hand of his God was on him. Favor. Ezra 7, 6. The king gave him everything he asked for. Ezra's whole trip was funded by a foreign king. Hello, somebody. He paid for it because the gracious hand of the Lord his God was on him. Encouragement. Ezra 7, 28. He says, I felt encouraged because the gracious hand of my God was on me. Protection. Ezra 8, 31. And the gracious hand of our God protected us and saved us from enemies and bandits along the way. God's favor, direction, encouragement, provision, protection were all over him in his life. Not because he was amazing, talent, super gifted. He was more of a behind-the-scenes, sidelines guy. But because he set his heart on God. 
Friends, I want to challenge you going into this year. Set your heart on God. You can get a lot of things wrong, and if you get that right, it will tend to make everything else all right. Set your heart on God. And his favor will rest on you. You'll walk in his favor. You already have his favor and forgiveness through faith in Jesus Christ, and so do I. But as you study the Bible, what's interesting is as you lean into God and seek him and obey him, you can, you can position yourself to experience even more of God's blessing. How many of you wouldn't mind experiencing even more of God's blessing this next year? Yeah, I'm in. It's not a mystery. God's clearly said in his word, if we'll set our hearts on him, we'll seek to listen, to learn, to obey, we'll have open hearts, we can position ourselves to live in more of his favor in our hearts and in our lives. And that doesn't mean our life's gonna be easy because that's you go through uh, Ezra chapter seven, chapter eight, you read again and again, the gracious hand of the Lord is on him. You get to Ezra chapter nine and it says this, but then, but then, but then Ezra showed up. But then Ezra made it to Jerusalem. <laughs> but then Ezra realized nothing was as he thought it would be. You ever gone into a business venture only to realize nothing was as you thought it would be? You ever stepped into a new season in your life? Only You ever started dating somebody only to realize, that's, that's wait, wait, that's, that's not what I thought. <laughs> and now he's devastated and he's heartbroken. But then, we're gonna face some but then moments this next year. We all will. Over the next decade, I know I'm sure I'll get knocked down, we'll get knocked down, and we'll have some but then moments. Just because you go through some but then moments, that does not mean God's hand of favor is no longer on you. Listen, just because your marriage may be lonely right now, that doesn't mean God's hand of favor isn't on you. Just because your kids may be doing their own thing and kind of find out who they are and it might be killing you right now, that doesn't mean God's favor isn't on you. Just because it's hard and disappointing, that doesn't mean God's favor isn't on you. Listen, the absence of problems, right, is not equated with the presence of God. A lot of times we think, man, you know, if I have problems, then, um, you know, God must be out of here. No. God is present in the problems. God will see you through the problems. In fact, you know, what, what, what mom always said, right, was the proof is in the pudding. Right, you know, proof's in the pudding. In a lot of ways, the proof's in the problems, the fact that you're up against problems just means that God is preparing you, he's going to use you, and he's gonna shape you. Ezra's facing all kinds of problems, but he's not abandoned, he's not deserted. God's hand of favor is just as much on him when he was blessed externally as when he's struggling externally. And God is gonna use him in a powerful way so we can rise up with favor. Another thought is this, to rise up with faithfulness, to rise up with faithfulness. You read on about Ezra's life, he gets up from this moment and he gets a team together and they start talking about the changes that they need to make as a people, how they need to return to God, how they need to serve God, how they can't make the same mistakes they made before or they're going to end up in the same place they were before, right? They have to do it differently and he leads a whole team of people around this and eventually he begins to help the Israelites reestablish worship at the temple. God uses this quiet behind the scenes guy to sort of recodify temple 
worship at a very vulnerable period in their history to reestablish things. And then 12 years after Ezra shows up, this dude named Nehemiah shows up. We'll talk about him next week. And Nehemiah starts to rebuild the wall around the city. And Nehemiah builds that wall to protect the city. And many of the guys had to build it with a sword in one hand and bricks in the other. Literally to fight off their enemies, to hold people back as they rebuilt the walls of that city. And when they get the walls done, it's like Jerusalem is ready to be fully restored. The temple's built, the wall's built again, the exiles are back, right? They're all in place. And so what do they do? They call all the people together. And who do they call? They call this dude named Ezra. You read about it in Nehemiah chapter eight. All of a sudden, it's like, well, wait, there he is again. Ezra, they come forward to teach the people God's word. So all the people gather. Ezra goes up on a wooden platform, says he uses a wooden podium. First time in the Bible that like a podium is mentioned. Just saying, it's like he's gonna preach. But Ezra's not a preacher. He's not a big upfront personality. He's not Mr. Charisma. So what does Ezra do? It's so brilliant. He stands up on the podium. He opens up the Bible. And from morning to noon, he just reads the Bible. These, many of them hadn't even heard the Bible in that way in a whole generation, right? And then the next day, he reads again publicly. And the next day, he reads again publicly. And this goes on for multiple days. And at the end of it, the Israelite people recommit their hearts and lives to God. They surrender again to God. And they, they're encouraged by the faithfulness of God through all their struggle. Look at this, Ezra chapter 9, verse 8. Ezra says this in his prayer. He says, our God has brightened our eyes. He's granted us some relief from our slavery. For we were slaves, but in his what? unfailing love, our God did not abandon us in his unfailing love. You know, this uh, past week, Lori and I, we celebrated our 23rd wedding anniversary. Awesome. Give that girl a medal. That's what I'm saying. 23 years. We did a little staycation. Um, we just got a night on the strip, the night of our anniversary, stayed at a hotel and um, it was great, and then it was a Saturday night where it fell this year, so it was a little crazy down there, so we, we chose not to drive. We just did, like, ride-sharing around, you know, went to some of our favorite spots, had dinner, wasn't anything big. Then we went to another spot and sat and talked for a couple hours and talked about how grateful we were for the Central family all these years, for our kids, for God, just how thankful we were as people. And um, finally, we left that particular hotel casino and, and we went to get our car. We actually called up our car on the app, you know, for the ride share to come and we went to wait for it. I didn't realize that there was a concert going on. And the concert let out at the same time. So you had hundreds of people everywhere, total gridlock in the rideshare area. It, it, it was, it was kind of crazy, you know, it was like the perfect night. Everything was amazing. But then, <laughs> right? And we walk outside and all these people, and you know how it is, Saturday night, people coming into town, not everybody's sober. So we had a lot of tipsy people, people all around, people bumping into you, you're just waiting and waiting, it's freezing outside, and this went on forever. And I know it's a first world problem, but I'm just saying, I'm not the most patient guy in the room. Anybody feel me here, right? So after about 30 minutes, I'm trying to hold back from full tilt meltdown over here, you know, like I'm just like, oh man, when is this car gonna get here? Nothing, and I'm frustrated. I'm thinking we could probably just walk, you know, somewhere else on the strip and get a cab or something, we could get back to the 
the hotel another way, but we already called this car. So we wait and we wait and we wait and we wait. And we're watching. They're like a minute away. I'm like, maybe if we walk to wherever the car is and we just get in in the gridlock, we could just get in the stream going the other way. You know, I'm trying to think of all these solutions, which is driving my wife crazy, which is reminding her of the 23 years, the part that wasn't so good that we weren't celebrating that particular. So I, I realized I got to just take a deep breath and chill out. It's relaxed, Judd. It's relaxed. Finally, our car pulls up. We get in our car and we start inching along because, you know, the traffic isn't moving. We're going to be in that car a long time. And what I didn't realize in the moment became apparent to me once we got in the car because our driver just started opening up about her life and she didn't know who I was, but it's just who I am, it's what I do. I ask people questions, you know. I started asking her about her life and how she was doing and where she was at and she said, you know, I'm actually a, a theology student. I have a degree in, in theology. I studied Bible and she said, yeah, I've just fallen away from my faith. I've fallen away from the Lord. I've, I've gotten into a dark place in my life. She said, you know, I've got multiple kids. I'm separated from my husband right now. I'm taking on this job just to try and make a little extra money just to string a few things together. But it's pretty bleak right now. It's pretty dark. She starts crying, you know, driving along. And I realized I wasn't just waiting in a purposeless line. I was waiting for my divine appointment, right? I was supposed to be there. God picked this car for me and said, we'll wait for it. And it was worth the wait. And Lori and I just got to sort of lean up from the back seat. And I got to tell her I was a pastor. And, and um, you know, she was very emotional. And I got to say a few things to her that, that I want to share with you because I think in that moment, God put us there to speak these words over her life. And I said, listen, God still loves you. As Ezra said, his love is unfailing. God hasn't pulled away from you. You may have pulled away from God, but you can come home to him. You can return to him. Your life isn't finished. I said, God has not abandoned you. He hasn't left you. He doesn't abandon his kids. Now, he may discipline you. Hello. He'll bring you back to himself. You can save yourself a whole lot of heartache and just return on home to him. You know what I'm saying? And then I got my little invite card out because I always carry them with me. But mine was dated because it was a Christmas invite card I'd been handing out and it was after Christmas. So I said, ignore all the times on here, but just look at the website right here and come join us at Central. And then at the end of that ride, we had her pull over and said, hey, could we, could we pray with you? And, you know, Lori and I just surrounded her and we got to pray for her in her car. And it was an awesome moment. And I was thinking about that heading into this weekend because I, I believe I was in that car for that moment to bring encouragement to that person. But listen, it's the same reason I think I'm standing up here today and God brought you to sit here today. It's not an accident. And I think I'm supposed to tell you the same thing that we told her, which is God has not abandoned you. His love is unfailing. God hasn't left you. Set your heart on him. Don't you quit just because things get hard. Don't you give up just because you may be on your back right now. Don't you check out because things are hard in a marriage or hard at home or hard financially or hard at work. Just because things are hard, that doesn't mean that 
hand of God is not on you, right? The proof is in the problems, right? The proof is in the pudding. That just means things are hard. And where God tests you is often where he's preparing to bless you. So don't give up, rise up. Don't check out, lean in and set your heart on God. You can rise up with his favor. You can rise up with his faithfulness over your life. You have an unfair advantage. So lean into him. Rise up, take courage, go do it. Go do it. Some of you, you're here today and you've never really crossed that line of faith. And I wanna encourage you to reach out to Christ, place your faith and your trust in him and really start the new year right if you've never done that or maybe you've drifted for a long time and this is just a chance to return home to him. Would all of you bow your heads and close your eyes and if you'd like to become a follower of Jesus, you can begin that journey by repeating a simple prayer after me, just opening your heart to God. Just say, dear God, I thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus into the world. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose again. Forgive me for my sins. Give me the gift of eternal life. Help me face the challenges that I'm up against. God, I surrender my life to you. In Christ's name. Friends, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's your prayer today, if it's your commitment, I wanna ask you to just slip your hand in the air. Just make eye contact with me, just to say before God, to say to me, you're gonna follow him in your life today. Thank you, guys. God bless you. Thank you. Just reach out to him today. Thank you. God, we love you. Thank you for each person just reaching out to you. I pray you'll show up in their life and bless them in a huge and powerful way. We're so honored to move into a new year with you and we pray for more of your favor. We thank you for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen.